Thank you for joining us again today. We are nearing the end of the Easter season. Uh, this week, our attention turns towards the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship. I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he, is, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. So what... Uh, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own uh, poets have said, for, he, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the whole world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A Roman Catholic, a Unitarian Universalist, a Methodist pastor, and a Buddhist all walk into a bar together. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. In reality, it describes a small group that I'm a part of that meets a couple of times a month. And as a young pastor, I never would have imagined that I would be in such a group. In fact, I would have criticized any Christian for doing it, calling into question their faith. It's not the way I was raised. See, I grew up with a very insider religion. Uh, my formative years in my youth group taught me so much about God, but there's a lot that I missed in the message as well. I was a part of a really strong youth group in my hometown. We couldn't wait to be together. We loved our time together. On Sunday mornings, we would all get up and, and go to Sunday school, and we shared that time together. We were in worship together with several of us singing in the choir. Uh, afterwards, we would all scatter and eat lunches with our families, but then we would return mid-afternoon. Uh, we met every Sunday for two or three years with a woman who was elderly and homebound and blind. Uh, we met with her to sing songs with our guitars, and that became our ministry as a youth group. We would leave from there, go back to the church at 4.30 for a time of singing and worship that we would just do, and then our youth meeting at 5, and uh, followed by our evening worship at 6. Then we would even gather, uh, we would gather after worship for a fireside. All day, every Sunday, it was about youth. This was our group. We loved it. We, we, we really wanted to be together. Uh, we would come back on Wednesday nights for choir practice. We were together at various times throughout the week. We hung out together in school. Uh, we really were a sort of holy club. We would pray together. We would worship together. We would study together. We would even confess our sins to one another. It's one of the few groups I've ever been a part of that had the courage to do that. It was an incredible experience in high school. 
So by the time I moved to college, I considered myself something of an expert in youth ministry. Nobody had a youth group like mine. So when I moved here, I, I started volunteering with Youth for Christ here in Tuscaloosa, uh, also known as Campus Life. Campus Life is one of their ministries. Uh, I volunteered and began working, and I, I quite honestly bragged to my executive director about my youth experience. Uh, I wanted to convince him that I would be an incredible asset to Campus Life and Youth for Christ. With all of my enormous background in youth ministry, I just had skills that I knew that the executive director would be hungry to use. So I offered him my services. Uh, he, after describing all of my youth experiences, after telling him what I just told you, he asked this question. But what did y'all do to reach non-Christians? I didn't understand the question. I, I was just dumbfounded. Uh, I said, but we had these wonderful prayer times. And he said, but what about those that don't yet believe? I was stumped. Finally, I managed to say, well, they could come if they wanted to. Of course, they didn't. Not a whole lot of high schoolers wanted to do what we were doing. In uh, that stumbling answer, I gave a response that is too often too true of much of the church in our time. We gather for the things that we enjoy, and all of those other people can come if they want to. I had become, in my early age, really comfortable with insider religion. And quite frankly, I didn't care enough about those who have not yet experienced the love of Christ. And so you can see why I never would have imagined sitting in a bar with a Buddhist. I would have criticized any Christian for doing it. I criticized the Apostle Paul for doing it. It's amazing how as a 19-year-old I was thought myself enough of an expert to criticize Paul, but I did. I criticized Paul for what he did in the Areopagus, for what he did on Mars Hill in this story. Uh, I criticized him for, for being weak on idolatry. Uh, I criticized him for compromising his faith because the story says that he visited uh, all of these temples to false gods. He went into pagan temples. He examined their articles of worship. He studied the stuff that we're supposed to be running away from, I thought. He went into places that, in my opinion, defiled him. And then when he got the opportunity to speak, he didn't talk about the cross. He didn't talk about the blood. He didn't talk about, uh, he didn't talk about any of the sacrifice. None of the, none of the language that we're so used to comes up in the sermon. Instead, he says, you know that temple you have to an unknown God? Let me tell you who it is. Ah, that was so compromising in my opinion. Man, you gotta tell them about the cross, Paul, and you're talking about some, some strange pagan temple and using it to tell them. Uh, I'll be honest, I hated this passage. I, I stayed away from it, I ignored it, I pretended it wasn't there, I never preached about it in my early ministry. Uh, I just chalked it up to, some, to a bad idea that Paul had in the midst of his incredible missionary career. So I ignored it, but it wouldn't go away. This text kept gnawing at me, it kept bothering me, it kept getting brought up at inconvenient times, uh, and it bugged me. 
my executive director from Youth for Christ, his, his words kept gnawing at me too. What are you really doing to reach those who do not yet know the incredible love of Christ? And so finally I gave in. I, I figured maybe there is something to learn here from Paul. Maybe there's something in here that is worth my time, if you can believe that. And so I, I dug back in. And I began to learn that maybe Paul was on to something and maybe Paul had it figured out better than I did. That shouldn't surprise anyone. Paul, when he was when Paul was preaching to Jewish audiences, he talked about Solomon's temple. He talked about sacrifice. He talked about, uh, about Jesus being the source of our atonement and what he did at the cross. When he was talking to Jewish audiences, he used the Jewish religion to teach Jews about Christ. Well, that makes sense. The, the writer of Hebrews did the same thing. And writing to the Hebrews, he, he continually refers to the Old Testament, the religion of the Jews. Uh, for instance, the author of Hebrews makes the point that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Well, if you're a Jew, if you understand how the temple works and how the sacrificial system works, saying, yeah, Jesus is the ultimate high priest, that makes sense. To a Jewish audience, they used Judaism to tell Jews about Christ. If Paul had used that same kind of lingo on Mars Hill, if he had talked in terms of Jewish religion on the Areopagus, people would have been confused. They wouldn't have had a clue what he was talking about. Rather, he talks about their temples. He talks about their temple to an unknown God. Paul learns their language. He becomes familiar with their religion. He gets to know his audience. And then when given the opportunity to speak, Paul uses pagan religion to teach pagans about Christ. You see, there was no change in Paul's strategy. Paul used Judaism to teach Jews about Christ. He used paganism to teach pagans about Christ. It's brilliant, really. If you want to tell somebody about how awesome our God is, the best place to start is where they are, not where we are. I didn't understand that when I entered ministry, but I'm trying to learn it as I continue in ministry. I'm trying to learn from what Paul did. So two or three times a month, I gather with groups of people who feel uncomfortable in deep South Christianity. Uh, it's for different reasons. For different reasons, they just don't feel like they fit in to good old Southern Christianity that may feel really comfortable to us. Some of them are from other parts of the country where they experience Christianity differently than we do in the Bible Belt. Some uh, are other religions, like my Buddhist friend who attends with us occasionally. He is from another religion, yet he comes and sits and shares with us. And, uh, some, uh, some of that group that doesn't feel comfortable in Deep South Christianity are LGBTQ folks, uh, and they feel hurt by some of what's going on in the church. Uh, these are people that gather, that have a love for one another and an interest in the truth, but they just don't think they fit in with the group that I grew up in. And they've been kind enough to share with me their experiences. I'm learning to listen. They tell me stories about how they perhaps have been hurt by the church. They raise questions that they have about our religion. They, they wanna know how it is that a God of love 
can condemn five billion people to eternal conscious torment in hell. Uh, how can a loving God condemn people to burn for hell, and forever in hell? That's an uncomfortable question. We don't like thinking about it. We don't want to have to answer that for ourselves, so we tend to push it aside, but it's a real issue for some in this crowd. And they have the chance to ask those questions. And we wrestle with them. I try not to offer simple, silly solutions. But we are honest about where the struggles are. And they've been nice enough to give me the opportunity to share our story. To share about the love of Christ, maybe in some new ways, and hopefully in some ways that are opening them up more to, to God's grace. I'm, I'm praying it's working both ways. But it's been an incredible time. It's wonderful to gather. It's wonder, wonderful to share, to learn from people, and to share with people. And let me, let me be very clear about my friends in this small group. They are not my project. They are not uh, some project I took on to, to try to transform them, to remake them in my own image. No, they're my friends. I love gathering with them. I love, uh, I love having them in, in my home. I love them as friends. And that love has created the opportunity for honest sharing. You know, it's very easy in the church to get comfortable behind these walls. It's very easy for the church to hide behind walls to protect ourselves, to protect our purity of the faith. To not expose ourselves to other doctrines. It's very safe and comfortable. But that's not the way Jesus did things. Jesus did go to the synagogue. He did go to the temple. But then he went right out to where the people were. He always met people where they were. It's not the way Paul did things. Paul would always start out in the synagogue. But he went to the Areopagus. Uh, he would go wherever the people were. He spent his life going to uncomfortable places, places that a lot of church folk didn't want to be because it was worth sharing the love of Christ. And God didn't call us to hide behind walls. God's plan for the church is not that we should hide behind walls. In fact, Jesus put it this way. Speaking to Peter, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A couple of things there. First, you hear that the church belongs to Christ. It's not up to us to decide what we do or don't do. The church belongs to Christ, and it is Christ who directs us. Then he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, in my old insider worldview, I thought that that meant that Jesus had put up these gates to protect us from all of those evil influences. But that's not the way this passage works. The gates of a city are designed to protect that city from its enemies. In other words, Jerusalem had gates. The gates of Jerusalem were designed to protect Jerusalem from Jerusalem's enemies. The gates of hell were erected not it's not something that God put up to protect the church. The gates of hell are put up to protect hell from hell's enemies. Well, who are the enemies of hell? It's people that are following Christ. 
those of us who have committed our lives to resisting evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, to those of us who have decided to go into the world and make a difference, we, the church, you, are the enemies of hell. And, and Christ promises us that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. It is Christ's vision that we Christians would crash through the gates of hell to where the captives are and to lead them to freedom. Now, the gates of hell will not prevent the church from reaching in with new life. I pray that we continue to learn to do that. That we, I pray that we would crash through the gates of hell with good news to those who feel lost and excluded and isolated and outcast. A Roman Catholic, a Unitarian Universalist, a pastor, and a Buddhist all walk into the bar. I'm praying for the day when that doesn't sound like a joke. I'm praying for the day when that just sounds like a normal day in the life of the church. Because God has sent us to the entire world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth to share good news. Amen.